When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Chris here. Once again, I'm here with Jesse Jeffrey Dunn-Rovinelli. Hello, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. Is it a show? It's a show. <laughs> okay, great. You're on air. Great. I'm um, on air. <laughs> <laughs> so, I uh, want to start off very generally um, and talk about uh, your film background slash history. When did you get into film? When did you realize like you wanted to do it? And so on. like pretty standard like high school experience i was uh i had a group of friends that that uh they took advantage of like a local video store deal where if you rented three movies you got like four or something so we did that every week or five or something so we would watch like four or five films but he had to split it with his parents and they were really into classic films and so we would watch a lot of those as well and, and i don't know i I just sort of decided at that point that I wanted to do it, which was interesting because I didn't really have any specific interest in, like, uh, the movie. I don't know. I didn't really have a conception of, like, the relation of image to sound and content. It just, uh, I had thought I wanted to be, like, a novelist for some reason, you know, as a, as a child. And then this somehow seemed um, more primary. I, I don't know why, but, yeah, it was sort of a cute, like, friends, family, we went to a lot of classic films, and we spent a lot of time watching films, and so that just became my world and did you go to school to study it or like what was the next step oh yeah yeah i went to wesleyan university um for film studies which you know they have some production there but it's um more of a uh more of a uh film theory sort of thing that you do some production um and it's like very classical it's very like formalistic how do you make an audience feel this etc etc um so definitely my work is not really in keeping with much of what comes out of, of that university. I mean, they're best known for, like, Michael Bay, Christopher Columbus, and, and, and folks like that. Um, actually, check me on that. I don't think Christopher Columbus actually went there, but a screenwriter <laughs> totally did, or teaches there, or something. Anyway, they're best known for, like, Mad Men and, and these sorts of, like, um, very narrative-based moving image stuff. Um, so I was a little bit of an outsider. It's for Jim Cohen who went there, thank God. Um mm. But I, I definitely integrated um, this, this conception of, like, how do you think about an audience? And I think that I've engaged that in my work much more than some folks are maybe working in a similar um, a similar art film context than I am. And I say art film not to mean, like, you know, art house films, but to mean more, like, films that are invested very much in, like, the texture of the image and, and, how, and how we show um, content images. You know, that, that's primary for me over-narrative, but then at the same time, I, I realized that it was very important for me to consider the ways in which an audience was being integrated into this process so that the film was an, un, un, an unfolding thing as time went on, um, not just as like a sort of static theory that sits there on the screen, because that's a, a lot of the problem of what, I, of what I see in these, you know, somewhat more experimentally minded film festivals is that 
the film becomes just an explication of a theory, and I never wanted that. I always wanted it to be like an unfolding temporal experience where the audience, you know, learns things over the course of the film and their conception of the film in relation to it changes over time. That maybe is a bit too formal, but yeah. <laughs> well, how do you how do you do that? I'm, I assume you know every project is different, but you yeah. approach it that way. So, like, how do you go about like that? Like, how do you figure that out? So with Empathy, which was my first um, feature film, which is a, a documentary where many things are uh, staged or at least looked somewhat like narrative cinema about a friend of mine who's a, a sex worker and heroin addict. Um, we knew as we were shooting, you know, I scripted the film with, with the subject and Kalanadi um, beforehand. And we just knew that like every 10 minutes we wanted you to learn something new about her or have some event sort of happen. So it was very important to us that there was this sort of like very basic three-act structure where, you know, there's a conflict and then, you know, every 10 minutes, you know, maybe there's 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 a complication or some new information about her back history that changes your relationship. And so that just gave like a something, like a certain context to hang the film on. So you can you can then have like a 10 minute uh, sex scene or, 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 or a five and a half minute scene of somebody brushing their teeth or something like this. And then you have a certain context to relate to these images too. They don't, they don't become just about watching a woman brush her teeth. They become about, you know, a particular woman at a particular moment in time that you know something about. So that, you know, you do have a very classical arc over these films. Um, and I try to think like about how to engage this sort of very basic narrative pleasure with, um, with questions of looking and, and politics and things like that. I think that they can exist together very well. Empathy's already brought up. That's good. I wanted to get there. <laughs> um, can you give a brief synopsis of that and um, background as to why you decided to embark on this project? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Empathy was my first feature film. Um and I had made before it a, sh- a short film about, about sex work as well that I wasn't totally satisfied with for a variety of reasons. I, it was my attempt to make uh, a sort of more pop film, and I don't think it was fully successful. Um, and then uh, the, a previous film that, that I hadn't directed that I edited called BX46 by Jeremy Pujadou and Fabien Cuet um, premiered at the Museum of the Moving Image, and my friend M uh, came and, and she saw that, and she liked the film very much, and she said, you know, I know that you're a little bit dissatisfied with your last film, and I know that you're working on this new film now, which at the time was supposed to be like a series of vignettes, um, and she said, you know, if you want to do a vignette about me, we can sort of try to do a do-over on the, from the sex work thing. And so I started shooting with her, you know, it became clear to me and my career pretty quickly that that, that should become a film. So, so that ended up becoming Empathy, which is a feature-length film that follows just M. Um, and, you know, she's struggling with a heroin addiction. She moves between three different cities. And so it follows her you know, from New York, Pittsburgh, seeing clients and friends and trying to get health insurance, uh, eventually getting a client to pay for her stint in rehab in Los Angeles. <coughs> and we, we follow her there. So it's it has a sort of like kind of a straightforward like uh, addiction recovery art, but then with these, with these vignettes of, of sort of situations and friendships and, and care and, solidar- and um, solitary moments and, and things like that. So it was a way for me to kind of look at, like, um, for me, like, a, a sex worker as a freelancer is a very much a, a contemporary, um, at least the kind of sex worker that, that M is, is a very contemporary um, person. I mean, 
and their 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 work life is quite similar in a lot of ways to to a lot of uh, the, the new form of American workers that, that society is trying to generate. Um, but it also has you know this 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 body element, the sexual element, which allows us to see a lot of um, the ways in which you know our, our society um, is mapped onto a body and the expectations that are placed onto a body, um, which for me was very important and. You know, I think it's very funny that I made this film before I transitioned. Since you know, those questions of how does a body presentation matter it became very important for me in a new way. So that's so that's kind of that film, and I'm very proud of it. I'm super happy with it. Um, yeah, it's, it's something that I'm very pleased with. Yeah, I mean, it was really great. Um, <laughs> I am privileged to have seen an early cut of it pre premiere, and uh, oh yeah, you did. I did. Yes. Um, Thank yeah. you so much. I liked it and a your lot. Feedback was wonderful. I very much appreciate it. Um, oh, just a side note: the connection's going in and out, mm-hmm. so I can still hear okay. you. But sometimes you'll like there will be like a little lag. You went through all these. Um, the film goes through different locations and stuff like that, and it's based on her personal experience. How did you work together with her to kind of make that structure? Like what went in, what went out? How do you decide that? I mean, almost nothing went out. I don't. I think because I'm an editor by trade, I kind of just do the edit beforehand. <laughs> mm. I'm not the kind of editor that wants a lot of material and wants to pick something to end up with. Um, so basically, once we realized that we wanted to make it, you know, we shot an initial film scene, which is her in withdrawal. It was supposed to be a completely different scene, but we showed up and she was in withdrawal. Uh, and she said, "Just I want you to shoot me anyway, but I can't move, so come with the scene where I don't have to move." Uh, and, and that's what we did, um, which I think is actually a quite loving scene. Um, but anyway, so after we decided to shoot the whole film, I went with her to a Baskin Robbins and we got ice cream and we took a napkin from the Baskin Robbins and what, I just asked her, you know, what's coming up in your life? What, you know, what events can we sort of anticipate? And we just, and I had certain, you know, things that were regular occurrences in her life that I knew I wanted to shoot. And so we wrote those things down in a napkin, which, which I promptly lost, which I'm really sad about. Hmm. I'd taken some of the napkin down in the notebook. Um, and that became pretty much the structure of the film that ended up happening, except that the final chapter in Los Angeles was utterly unplanned when she goes to Los Angeles for rehab. Um, we shot the first two chapters, and I had this sort of very avant-garde ending that was going to sort of deal with an actor playing her and these alternate things. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I was trying to really go into this um, documentary fiction hybrid world. But then a client of hers you know, said, you're not doing well, and if you'd like to go to rehab, I'll, I'll pay for it. So we went to Los Angeles, and we started Skyping to sort of catch up on her life, and so together, her and I then rescripted the ending of the film after sort of life intervened and gave us this very classical third act. It was um, you know, very interesting. You know, I tried to have this, like, anti-narrative uh, dissolution of narrative ending where, you know, and no longer exists, it was played by an actor, and I, I don't know what I was thinking if, you know, came and gave us a, a very... Uh, almost classical resolution. Um, so that was that was interesting. And then because we've been skyping so much, while trying to figure out what this final scene in Los Angeles for rehab was going to look like, I became really enamored with this Skype image um, because I was starting to feel such emotion speaking to her and uh, through this Skype thing for some reason. And so I, I integrated the Skype footage, some of which I shot like in the in the in the final film. Um, yeah, but so basically, very strict script, and then all of a sudden, life changes the last thirty. <laughs> hmm. 
Um, and so I kind of try to maintain that in my work. You know, very strict structures, but the space for, for radical change if, if it arises. Yeah, I think that's always the way to go. I mean, depend, if you're just a really boring person, then, you know, don't do that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it definitely seems like that's what people should do, especially if you're working, like, with no money, like, micro-budget and stuff. It's like, that's the one thing that could really give your film life. And, um... I don't know. It definitely, it definitely seems like a good mindset um, to approach a, a film with. I mean, for me though, I do need that strict structure, like not just the narrative structure, but also the aesthetic structure. Like I knew I was going to shoot every shot like this. Basically, we had a series of very strict, 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 strict rules for how we would shoot. And then I think it's really important for low budget filmmaking as, as well because. Then I wasn't like overwhelmed with options, trying to try out things, trying to do this, trying to do that. I, I kind of knew what my toolkit was, and that made it very easy to go with a small crew. We all had the language shared between us. We could just we could just do it, and then that made it easy to think about what changes we had to make to our style. When so, I think it's this combination of like um, very strict rules for myself with a, a certain freedom built in. Uh, yeah. yeah, you need it. Possible for me. You need some sort of framework. Um, yeah. I think most people would need that, um, especially because there are a lot of indie film where it's like you can you can feel when they're lost, when there's just like yeah, yeah. too much. I don't want to use the word freedom, too much freedom, but um, I guess just not enough uh, structure or regiment going on where it's like uh, this yeah. is really flailing huh? and not in an interesting way. Yeah, nothing else. My films will feel cohesive. <laughs> That's something. Uh, so, I again, you know, she was and was part of this project from the get go, like creatively and and all that. Um, and and there are some acts of of sexual nature um, with other people involved. So, was it ever a thing where there was some trepidation as to? showing certain things on camera and, and stuff like that from the people within the scene or shot? Um, honestly, the trepidation was all on my part. <laughs> mm. um, because I, I'm, you know, I my films are very much about creating a, a, a caring and supportive environment on, on set um, so that we can have that, that creative back and forth and also just safety because I, I, I hate the idea of like um, where try, people try to push people for the sake of art. I think that's disgusting. You know, I think our politics don't cease just because we're we're on set. I don't think there's anything edgy about, about um, pushing boundaries for the sake of great art. I think that's disgusting. Um, so I was very, very concerned to make sure that everybody's boundaries were respected. And so I would sit down before the sex scene and be like, okay, so we're going to do this scene. This is, this is how it goes. Um, I have certain boundaries. I'm saying for myself as a filmmaker, and I want to make sure that everybody else, it's just, it doesn't just include the, the actors in the scene, but also the, the, the crew, that we had all knew what was going to happen, that we felt good about it, and everyone said, yes, Jesse, we're here, we're, we're excited to do this with you. And M was, was like, this is the easiest scene for me, because this is my job, you know, performing for men, she's done porn, she's like, this is different than porn, but, you know, it has certain overlap, so honestly, it was, it was me <laughs> trying to make sure that everyone else felt comfortable, because everybody else had known very early on in the film that these things were, were going to be in and um, the, the, the male actor in the scene was, you know, we 
we asked him, do, do you want to do this? We all sat down and had lunch together and made sure that people felt good and that we went over expectations that long before we got to set, of course. Um, and then I clarified those once we were on set. So, so for me, it was more, it's more, it was more about me, but, but I hope that the environment that I created would, would create space for everyone to be able to express those concerns. Uh, um, I kind of view filmmaking a lot like, like the sexual act, um, where it's this, it's this, um, it can be this very exciting, um, centrally, uh, energizing, uh, maybe freeing, um, activity, but it's also something that, that is, you know, the exploitation and, um, control and boundaries is like, it's built into it. That's a very strong possibility. So I try to use like a model of basically affirmative consent for my, for my filmmaking as well. I think, you, you know, for me as a director, it's very important to, to, to use like a sexual consent model aspects of filmmaking, not just the, the sexual the sexual components to make sure that everyone is constantly excited and consenting and engaging and, and you know being able to take this process as something that their body has autonomy and it has um, you know a presence in that doesn't feel like somebody else is controlling them. Or if they want to be controlled, you know, have that it's something that's negotiated beforehand. It's that's something that's it's um, joyful or exciting or, 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 or you know just grants grants everybody you know, a form of autonomy. I don't know why, but that's really important for me. Mm. I mean, I know why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you said that uh, pushing people for the sake of art is disgusting, because it is. Yeah, it's super boring, and it's, and it's yeah. You wonder why we have this, this, uh, you want, this is what happens when you have a hyper-masculine film culture. I mean, this is why we need some female filmmakers. I mean, not that women are automatically better at this or anything, but but the sort of misogyny is baked into the system and into our ideas of greatness, and um, that sucks. <laughs> you have these these stories of um, we had to do anything to get that, really pushed my actors, and, you know, it's really just an excuse to be a selfish monster asshole, and there are other ways to go about getting, like, a good performance. Like, what are you kidding me? Like, you had to be an abusive shithead for, like, a film? Come on. We're talking human beings here. What was the reception of the film like going festival to festival? It was pretty good, um, uh, by and large. Um, it definitely was strongly preferred in Europe to America, which, you know, was a little a little sad for me because it's very much an American film. Uh, um, but I also understand why, I mean... You know, it, it definitely drew on uh, some trends that were going on in, in Europe, in the more in the European culture, uh, festival circuit than, than were going on here. Um, but the responses were, were, in general, very positive. You know, I, I've heard people, friends say that before, and I've said it before. Um, I always had this idea that there would be places for films like yours in particular in this country and I think there is but the it seems like the bigger ones there's just so much more um there's just a lot beefier competition um in like the bigger festivals that would uh serve it and the smaller ones don't really seem like they'd be into 
you know, anything that's a little bit against the norm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, New York City's great. We've screened a lot in New York City, and I don't think that's just because I live here. There's, there's a very, there is an exciting film going culture in, in New York. Um, I think what was more interesting for me, though, like, festival questions is hard, was that I had this conception of this film as something that, you know, I was worried that, you know, that its audience was only art house and that it couldn't, no, I don't want to go down this road. <laughs> <laughs> um, it wasn't, though. <laughs> gotcha. But audiences were open to it? I, I don't think it was uh, seen as a terribly controversial film. I mean, uh, one of my worries was that you know, I, I wanted it to be a very gentle film, and I was worried that with my emphasis on duration, I would just make a film that seemed like aggressively boring. And the feedback that I got was that it wasn't, <laughs> that, mm. that it was pleasant to watch. You know, even these these extended scenes of you know one action for a very long time, and, and that that was exciting. Um, so I think often as filmmakers, we can uh, we can underestimate the 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 you know, where, where an audience is willing to go if you're, if you're willing to give them, you know, a little bit of care and, and a little bit of beauty and a little bit of context. Um, and that was really exciting. Yeah, I think audiences can still surprise us. I mean, if we like certain kinds of movies that are, are slow or, you know, more off the beaten path or whatever, I think we've come into contact with family or friends that don't necessarily share those views but are very like plugged into media for better or worse but from what i have experienced there are people who like once like they're presented with this movie um they could get into it and actually have like really interesting things to take away from it more so than i think some people who like film criticism is their stock and trade Man, I don't mean to speak ill of critics, though. I am one, and uh, I think the work that critics do is really wonderful and really, really important. But, but yeah, you know, I think um, there's 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 a willingness to see films, um, and and there's an ability to enjoy it. I think we we we're taught to underestimate our audience um, from a lot of sources. Like not all critics. That's wasn't yeah. didn't want them all. <laughs> Yeah, into that basket of what I said. So you do mostly music criticism. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, once you know, as I, I still write film criticism, but it's a little bit difficult um, to be a filmmaker and a film critic. You know, um, just because sometimes you know the the social worlds mix a bit much. Um, I'm told that I care about that more than I should. But I do. <laughs> I think it's legitimate. I, I felt like an urge to be more snarky than I already am. And, um, yeah, I know that. Yeah. So, you know, people aren't going to like that. Like a filmmaker, if I'm being snarky about a filmmaker and they see that, they're not going to like that. And at the end of the day, I have to kind of work in these, like, the, that's my circle too. Yeah. Um if there's something that someone legitimately needs to be called out on, that's one thing. But if I'm just being like a little shit, you know, about a joke, uh, that's not worth it. So you are embarking on your new film, So Pretty. 
we have a Kickstarter going. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the film? I, I understand it's based on a book. I guess like, like Empathy, it had sort of a, a roundabout gestation process. Um, I came across this book when I was, I, I think it was actually right after the premiere of Empathy. I think I took a, a few days vacation in Berlin with a friend there. And he had just been at a reading where this book was being read. And um, he was like, my German isn't super good, so I don't really understand it, but it seemed like something you might be interested in. So kind of on a whim, I just, I just purchased this novel, um, which is a, it's a novel that was written in the, in the late 80s. It uh, wasn't published until a couple of years ago, except, well, it was, anyway, its publishing history is a bit odd. It was published in a, a very large novel that this author also wrote that was published shortly after his death. But it only came out as a single volume and only got attention as a single volume you know, in the last few years. Um, and it's it's kind of like a, the novel itself is it's about four gay communists in Berlin um, before the AIDS crisis. Um, and, you know, they have a, a sort of love square and uh, there's a couple swap. Um, but it's all very gentle. The, the book is called So Shun, which translates as So Pretty or So Beautiful. And I went with So Pretty for the title of my film for a variety of reasons. Um, but anyway, I found this novel and I was really struck, um, by the, the way it's, it's, it's content really, it's, it's also called a utopian film is the subtitle of the novel. And actually the title of the novel is not Zoshu. It's, und aus der Prinzmitte kritische Tanzen waren so schön, dass sie ganz auch hoffen, um macht viel ein utopischer Film, um, which is a very long title, this, the, <laughs> the ending of which means a utopian film. And it's sort of written as a as a as a scenario for for an unfilmed film, so you know that, that kind of seemed natural. But what I was really fascinated with was there's a lot of descriptions of how people are standing, how they're drinking their coffee, what their hair looks like, what their pose looks like, and I became very excited with this this you know this political novel. It's it's, it's a novel about communists um, that was very focused on surface presentations, the sort of things that were seen as not politics, you know, not legitimate. Um, that sort of like queer culture, gay culture, um, especially trans culture, is written off as being like, um, you know, superficial um, or, or worse decadent. Um, and I was really struck by that. And at the time, you know, I, I didn't identify as, as transgender. And so this book just sort of became something that I that I thought about a lot um, over the next, over the coming years. And so when I was looking for a next film, I was just idly describing this to someone uh, when I was stopping at, I was at the Biennale, I wasn't playing the Biennale, I was just there between two screenings in Europe, and I was talking with this German woman, uh, and she said, Jesse, I think this is your next film. Uh, you are, you're really passionate about this, you're much more passionate about this like novel that you're talking about than, than any of these like larger projects that you're pushing into me, and I think you should make this a feature, and you know, I was like, oh my god, you're right. Uh, and then so I it's it's sort of like like empathy was where it's sort of a documentary fiction hybrid i mean this one is much more in the realm of fiction because we are adapting a novel and it does follow the plot of the novel but i'm setting it in new york city in, in 2018 you know uh, under the current regime of the current social situation um and i'm setting it with with four participants who are all artists uh in their, in their own right um and sort of their practices and lies play a role in the film as well. So it becomes like sort of an interrogation of this novel, sort of, I wouldn't even call it an interrogation because it's very gentle, um, but sort of uh, interweaving the histories, the differences, um, the cultures between New York City, Berlin, 
you know, gay men, and then my film is not about gay men at all. It's about four, four feminine people, um, you know, and trying to sort of be less interested in this cis, this cis-trans uh, divide than between, like, um, affinities along the spectrum of femininity and to see if that has a political possibility. But it's, it's also... You know, again, I guess I'm trying to make a pop film again a little bit. It, it has a lot of music. It's going to be very beautiful. Um, fashion film is actually a little bit of inspiration, again, to try to take this, this superficial form and remember that there, that there is validity, there is community, there is political power in being so pretty um, when, you're, when, you're so, when your version of pretty um, is something that you have to fight for access to. Um, so, yeah, and so hopefully it's going to be a, a very... A very, a very, a very pleasant film. I think that that's uh, an important way to respond to a darkening um, political situation. Although, is it really darkening? Things were always pretty bad. Um, but yeah, it seems like it more is. people know now. <laughs> yeah, right. Um. Um, and the doom and gloom response uh, to me um, writes off the ways in which our current situation is an extension of previous situations, and also isn't terribly productive in terms of, of um, imagining what we what else we could live in. You know, I want to live in, in a, a better world, not not one that just um, that just sort of resigns to the, the, the problems of the present as as eternal and something just to fight against forever. I want I want something fucking better. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about this. I'm glad you brought it up. Is the um, being imaginative of, of what could be and having this imagination. And um, relating that towards uh, political systems and, and stuff like that. Um, and even in the, the stories, maybe not stories we tell, but the stories that we're given and we're able yeah. to see and stuff, I think that if we if we see something that's supposed to be like science fiction or something like that there are still very general um aspects to it that kind of enforce um bad status quo yeah. and i'm wondering why that is why there isn't something where it could be like why can't this post apocalyptic zombie show be about um communists or anarchists like why isn't the society like that it seems like you know it's bad or or something always has to be seen in a uh in a kind of capitalist structure like that's as far as we can go and we can't really like think outside of that and that shows up in in art in in mass art such as television shows and, and stuff like that and it also shows up in in politics i mean i, th- I think on some level it's like it's like we we can't imagine anything else i mean it's really it's really hard to imagine anything else um and i'm pretty skeptical about the political possibilities of art in general and yet i keep making art that has a political dimension um and i'm kind of starting to feel like if there is a political dimension to art it, it is this possibility to you know to try your best to create a world where it is possible to think about thinking about outside of the uh, the current <laughs> structural relations that we that we exist under, 
Um, and one thing that really appealed to me about this novel, So Pretty, this a utopian film, as the novel is called, is that it's set in, in Berlin in the 1980s and nothing has changed. The social situation is, you know, as, as far as I can tell, and from speaking to folks who were alive and living there during that, that period, is um, it's, it's the same, but it's, it's, this is a film about saying, what if, what if we took this shit that we live in and, and, we, and we imagine that we live in a utopia, or that we just declare that we live in a utopia, that we try to create new relationships between people. Um, and I find that really inspiring, and I think that, you know, that's, that's something that I want to do in my film. Um, yeah, I think it's just really difficult. I mean, there's also ind industrial reasons. I mean, you know, an industry doesn't really want to produce something that, like, fundamentally questions it. Although, at the same time, an industry is really good at recouping things that, that at least purport to, to, to question it. So I don't, I don't know about that. This might sound simplistic or naive, but while I, I do share your uh i guess pessimism about like how much can a, a piece of art do or whatever on its own i do think it's important that art will do something a little different just and that that could just be like a little nudge to someone to show that things could be different um and i think that could go a long way um sure as simplistic as that sounds i think that is pretty important and i don't want to take that for granted i mean i saw it every time uh nomi the trans woman comes on screen and sensei you know and i could have a lot of issues with sensei but i'm not going to deny you know the excitement of seeing a woman that looks like me on screen and that's not even like imagining other possibility that's just giving someone something to do with their fucking time you know which which trans films don't do um so in, in moments like that, in that, in that real simplicity, then I can see, see something important. Mm. Uh, and I hope that I can make work that can connect with that sort of simplicity, that, that really valid simplicity. I think it was maybe after like Empathy was wrapping up like a festival tour, um, you, told, you posted <laughs> on Facebook. Uh, you kind of you were like I want to take the next step in my film career but I don't know how so if someone wants to like push me in the right direction um I'd really appreciate it that's not verbatim but you said something like that um yeah. what did you find out can you share with us not a, absolutely nothing <laughs> I wish I had better news. yeah I didn't really get any advice from that <laughs> so what do we do like a second I, film is really hard yeah you know, it's really hard. And I don't mean to be pessimistic about that. I think it's amazing that I was able to make one, and I'm, I'm going to make another. Um, but I, I don't think anyone's really worked out that process yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry, I wish I had better news. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I guess we could be rich. I don't know. <laughs> Someday. Someday. Um... Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. We'll be dead. Um, what's your take on, uh, I guess, modern queer and trans film? Because we spoke a little bit about what the possibilities could be. What do you, what is it now? And like, where could they go? I mean, the field's like kind of, it's all mixed up right now. I mean, you know, a fantastic woman wins the Oscar. Um, She's amazing in it. She's great. 
But I look at that film and I and I see a film about no future, you know, um, in the least punk way possible. It's the least punk no future film. It's a film that says like, here's the shit system, you know. That's it. That's what it says. Um, and as trans films become something that you can that you can win an Oscar with, as we become more more visible publicly, I think it, you know, there's there's Anna Gossett just edited a novel called a novel, a, a compilation of essays called Trapdoor about how visibility is a trap, and I, and I think she's right. Um, you know, it's very easy for our visibility to simply become the terms of our oppression, and I find that like extremely depressing. Um, and I think it's not surprising that that by and large, cis filmmakers seem to want to make stories about our misery, about our transition, about like the facts of being trans as it is now in the conception of a certain group of folks. But there are filmmakers who are, who are doing other things. I think about Esther Martin, Martin Bergsmark, um, and Raina, Raina Gossett <laughs> and others who are, who are using, who are using trans bodies to imagine, um, to imagine new futures. Um, to imagine what can a trans body do besides being trans? What, 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 what possibilities do we open up? Um, so I see really like two, two modes in the future for, for what we would call the queer film or the trans film. And I think the queer film in a lot of ways now has to be the trans film because, um, sorry, sorry, queers, but, um, not that they have to include trans people, but that the ways, the ways in which trans politics makes us think about gender, makes us think about bodies, you know, kind of have to reframe the way in which we consider what, what queer means now. Um, and again, in a lot of what we would call queer films are films about gay subjects, you know, I don't, I don't think you have that, that integration, that, that questioning of, of what gender means now in terms of what a, what a body or what a relationship looks like, um, in terms of like the main, the mainstream cinema. I don't like this mainstream independent divide, but it's like a very easy shorthand for what I'm talking about. That we can make films that, that, that use the experiences that we have to, to imagine new to relations or even to, to continue and to put on screen the new, the new relations that we're building in our own lives in terms of how we relate to gender, how we relate to one another. Um, and there are new aesthetics possibilities about that too. I don't mean to say that like trans people tell trans stories. I think that, that, that we have access to, you know, or we, we can create uh, new aesthetic tools to show things in, in new ways. And I hope that the form of like, so pretty for something is, you know, the ways in which I'm presenting beauty. Uh, I want to be a, a new uh, possibility of beauty to, to, to use beauty as a, as a, as a zone where we can create new possibilities to redefine what beauty is um, and have that be, yeah, something aesthetically new. I think the shooting style that we're developing is going to be something exciting. Um, so yeah, I see two paths. I see one that's very, very exciting and one that's um, that's just sort of like, you know, you live in shit and you're going to continue living in shit. Um, and I don't like that one very much. <laughs> I don't want to live in shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I guess that goes for everything too. Yeah. I see those yeah. two paths everywhere. You are an anarchist, is this correct? Yeah, I would identify as an anarchist. I mean, my relationship to anarchist communities, to anarchist organizing has shifted over the years. You know, those spaces can be fraught. Um, and I don't mean that as a way to write off anarchism or those spaces. I think anytime you're in an oppositional model, uh, it's going to be tough to keep things so pretty. Um, nice. But, yeah. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Anarchism is seen as this like scary, violent thing, and I'm like, I don't know. My understanding of anarchism is society free of all hierarchies and oppression. 
that sounds really great to me. So I, so people ask me, like, you know, what is the anarchist society going to look like? I'm like, well, I don't make films about that. I don't really worry about that in my daily life. But if I'm going to embark on a political project, it's a lot, it's very clarifying for me to think about, like, okay, what can I do that will reduce the level of uh, hierarchies and oppression in my life and in the world? And that sounds good to me. <laughs> I want a world where people hurt each other less. And for me, you know, anarchism is seems like a pretty good a pretty good model, a pretty good way of thinking about what might be better. Um, and it's funny to me making this film because I'm making this film, you know, about a communist novel. And historically, there's been alliances and, uh, and, uh, and uh, pretty pretty brutal fighting between between communists and anarchists. Um, but this is a, a realm of tension that I'm happy to just us out and you know i'm not super dogmatic i i can i, I can relate to you know those those, those strains of, of communalism within within communism and those histories and i think it's, it's totally possible to draw on both of these political histories um and exciting to see them interact um yeah so anarchism isn't scary kids it's uh it's just it's just care <laughs> <laughs> No, I'd love to. I love to get stuff like that out there. Um, talk about like these kind of alternative modes of thinking, and not because it seems to me it's like not super weird to talk about anymore. We just have to like bring it out there, and um, I don't know. It makes me very happy whenever we get a chance to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, rather than the the same old. Bullshit. Yeah. Um, Let's imagine new futures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we've talked about this a lot, but uh, you mentioned to me uh, off the podcast that you thought film should be more generative rather than reactive. And did we kind of talk about that already in terms yeah, of. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about when I see these two paths. You know, one describes the problems of how tough it is to be a trans person, and one you know, looks at what else it could be. And I'm not saying that, like, every film should be, like, this sort of, like, speculative future thing. I think it's very possible, to, you know, all my films are set in the here and now. Empathy, too, like, is set in, in a life that is, in many ways, very fraught. I mean, she, you know, she is a heroin-addicted escort. There's nothing wrong with being an escort. In fact, it can be very empowering for a lot of people. But like anybody living under capitalism, you know, this faces you with a lot of struggles, you know, to, to get cash, to get health insurance, to get, to, to survive, to build human connection, to be able to, to feel safe and, and all of these things. But, you know, I want to make sure that there's an openness to my films. Like they don't actually have to show you like a better future, but they, I don't know. I, I guess I used to be a real pessimist in my, in my artistic practices. And now I'm kind of like, what's the, what's the fucking point? You know, so even if a film is going to be somewhat sad, I love to cry. I love a good melodrama. Um, but you can have a film that's open, that's formed, suggests something beyond the, you know, the, the beyond the frame. That's that's better. <laughs> you can suggest care. I, I guess I was always under the impression that if you wanted to be adventurous in your art, there had to be like something abrasive to it. Yeah, yeah, same. <laughs> Why even, do you think that? I mean, that's that masculine culture again. That's mm-hmm. this like culture of like brutality as 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 um, 
as greatness. But again, I don't think that masculinity has to be tied to that. Though. I think that that's another thing that we've been told. It doesn't have to be that. Yeah, I mean, um, like even doing a long take, it felt like that had to be something had to pop in it and that pop was violence or it had to be super cold and that's yeah, how it had yeah. to be. But it's just, yeah, it's just turning a camera on for a while. Yeah. And that, yeah, that there's nothing cold about that. Like it can be like distancing doesn't have to be bad if that's the tool you want to use. Yeah. Like it's, I don't know. Yeah, it is. Yeah, playtime, just... is, playtime is pretty fun. Yeah. 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 Um, although it's still a cold film, you know, you can be both of those things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's very true. Um, I guess before we wrap up, I know I didn't tell you that you would need to prepare anything, but mm-hmm. I would love to hear some films that you love. I actually, this is kind of funny, I, I spent a whole podcast talking about generative stuff, but actually the films that I'm most inspired by are films that I don't like. <laughs> um, because when I see films that I love, um, I don't know what to do with them. You know, mm. they're... I mean, they're exciting. They remind me that film is great, <laughs> but um, but they're a bit imposing. So the films that I that I take the most from are films that I don't like, but where I see something in the form where I watch it, I'm like, wow, this movie wasn't very good. But like that that is that that way of shooting a scene is like really exciting. I want to steal that and and put it in a film that I like better. <laughs> mm. So yeah, I, I yeah I don't there's you know. Starship Troopers. That's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shemale Snails. That's a good movie. Shemale Snails? Shemale Snails is a great film. I, I, it's uh, Esther Martin Bergsmark's second feature, I think. Short feature in his life. Uh, it's great. It's a Swedish film about two non-binary kiddos, two lesbian boys together forever. Um, it's very sad. But, um, yeah, it's like a sort of playful documentary about, you know, two non-binary folks um, sitting in a bathtub for most of the film. Not bad. Talk about possibilities. Really good life. Yeah. No, you could definitely learn a lot from bad movies. If you're a filmmaker, um, I don't know why you wouldn't just try to see everything you could, no matter, like, what you heard unless it's like deeply would deeply hurt you and, and you know that's going to happen then yeah don't do that but if there's like a thing where someone's just like that's bad i don't know why you would see that um i say see it because you could you could take a thing and like oh that's a good idea they didn't do it very well i think i could do it better or you can see things that don't work and understand why they don't work without you having to do it i don't know there's like a lot you can yeah, get out of a bad film I think living in New York, it's really easy to to fall into cinephile culture. I know that I did. Um, And to try to see everything or to have these expectations on yourself. And I think something that was very exciting for me as a critic and as a filmmaker and as a film viewer was to to try to get back to taking film viewing lightly again. I mean, I see, like, a lot lot of films, for sure. Um, But it became really nice to remember that, like, it's nice to go to the movies, even if you don't like the film very much. Um... Like, sometimes I just sit in a film and I just think about other stuff in my life. Um, and I, that, that, you know, those thoughts are going to be tied to the film because I'm sitting in a room with it. I'm experiencing, you know, the film while I go to these places. And so for me, being able to make filmmaking and films sort of less transcendent, more just like present in the here and now as a part of your daily life, um, 
was really exciting. I think for me then they became exciting again because I was like, great, a film can be like a toothbrush. Um, and that's not a bad thing. That's an awesome thing. That's really, that's really great. That gives you a lot of space to play with it and to, to, to engage with it on your, on terms that are, that are yours. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I guess doing critic work made me, and watching slow films too would make me more critical and more present and analyzing it, how it goes and being very attentive, but there is something to be said. And I think slow films help this too, is that your mind could wander and because of what you're watching, that will influence how your mind wanders. And I think that could be very beneficial. Uh, I just read a quote from Lucretia Martel that she really liked when people fell asleep during movies and that was totally fine. I totally agree with that. Um, I think that's a totally legitimate form of aesthetic engagement. Um, you know, I prefer that you stay awake for most of my films, but you're <laughs> retired. And you're still getting something out of it. You know, there's still a relationship that's happening between them and the film, and that can still be really, really exciting. <laughs> Not when I program other things, but if I ever am able to have my own film and, and kind of be able to establish certain rules or whatever, I want to, like, encourage people to talk during the movie. Um, yeah. And say, like, hey, you should do this. Like, what would that be like? Because it's so rigid that we can't talk, and it's like, I guess I would prefer yeah. you didn't, but would it be so bad if that was just, like... No, like you, people should talk. That's good. Um, yeah. I'd like to see what that's like, um, and I don't think that would necessarily be a terrible thing. No, yeah, chat's good. <laughs> and people, how can people see empathy? Well, actually, in the next few days, we're going to be adding a reward to the Kickstarter for So Pretty, which is immediate access to a screening link of Empathy. That's what uh, I'm talking about. Yeah. So in the future, you may be able to get it for cheaper, but. For now, this is the number one way to see empathy is to donate <laughs> to So Pretty. Uh, and it's a great film and you're going to love it. Empathy is just its just a real masterpiece. It's a, it's a new part of the modern canon that I'm really happy to have added to the canon myself. Uh, I like it a lot too. So you should, listener, <laughs> check it out. And uh, the way to check it out would be helping Jesse make a new movie. So please definitely do that and... This is going to be accompanied with an article, so the link to the Kickstarter will be in there. But for people who are just listening and not reading, you should, you know, read sometimes uh, more than you do, I guess. Um, but do you have, like, a URL that people can access? You can just Google So Pretty Kickstarter, and that will be the first result. So thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It was a Until we meet again. Until we meet again. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.